This message was recorded during a conference for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. As Mike was saying, I've been uh, in this family of churches for many, many years, but I've, I've never been here. And so I was really excited to come and just spend the weekend with all of you and to get to meet some of you, I hope, over the course of the weekend. I, I'm not um, hoping to scurry back to my room quickly and not see anybody or something. I, I really hope you'd come up and say hi, because I'd love to just meet as many of you as I could over the course of the weekend. So thanks for having me. It's great to be here from Austin. Lord was kind and was able to slip into a, a different flight after my flight got delayed, so I'm assuming that he has a good purpose for that, <laughs> for me to be here this evening. Uh, the other reason I'm excited to be here is I'm, I'm hoping to shamelessly steal all of your great ideas and take them back to our youth retreat in Texas, okay? So if you don't mind, because I already am like, this, is, this Clash of Clans idea is genius. I, I think we should do that in all the youth retreats. That's great. So I'm just going to take them all and go back and say, hey, guys, I had this really amazing idea. Um, <laughs> no, we will, we, will, uh, we will give you credit, but I'm, I'm looking forward to that because I love youth parent retreats. I love them. I love them ever since I went on them. I love them now that my oldest daughter is 15. She goes to them. We just had ours in Texas just about a month ago, and they're just a blast. Aren't they a great time? They're fun. You stay up too late. You get up early. You eat. You wear band- We have the same kind of bandanas. It's a universal youth retreat marker, and we just have a great time. And I just love that I get to kind of observe and enjoy this time with you together. And I'm also excited to be here, most importantly, because I am excited to meet the Lord in his word with you. I... I- I'm looking forward to these four sections of Scripture. We have four times over the next 48 hours to look at sections of God's Word for Him to speak to us, and I'm excited about these four passages that we're going to be studying together. I hope you're excited too. I I really believe, I've been praying, I know you've been praying, Mike's been praying, and I, I believe the Lord is going to speak to us in a fresh way by His Spirit through his word, as he always does, but it is true. There is something about getting away from our normal routine and gathering together and focusing over a concentrated period of time and asking the Lord to meet us. We're coming asking him to do what he's eager and generous to do, that we wouldn't just hear messages, but that he would encounter us by his word. And we've all experienced, if you've been to a youth retreat before, we've had that moment or those moments where it was, it was like God was just addressing you and your particular situation. That happens with parents who come to serve their teens, but, but God meets them. It happens with first-timers, like the sixth graders that are here. So glad that you're here. I believe God wants to meet you. It happens with seniors who are heading into a different season of life. It happens with all the ages in between. I believe God wants to do that this weekend. So if you would, for this first passage, open your Bibles to the Psalms, Psalm 63. Psalm 63, in talking about this retreat, we we wanted to give an an overarching theme that will hold a number of these passages together, which is the presence of God. The presence of God, being Near God, knowing Him and drawing near to Him. So that's going to be a theme that we'll come back to again and again as we walk through the four passages over the next four sessions. But we want to start with this psalm, Psalm 63, 
And, and I want to encourage you to have anticipation even from the very beginning that we're about to read God's Word. There's, there's no higher peak, even Everest, than what we're about to read. This is the highest peak in the world. It is God's Word. This is when we encounter Him. So let's have that anticipation as we read Psalm 63, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. And all who swear by him shall exult. For the mouths of liars will be stopped. Lord, bless the preaching and the receiving of your word. Well, it's appropriate that you have a, an Aslan Scepter prize uh, for the Clash of the Clans because I wanted to talk a moment about one of the moments with Aslan in the Chronicles of Narnia. How many of you have read those books or have them read to you? Many of you, most of you perhaps. So I love those books. I read them to all of my children. I'm very sad right now because my youngest child is just starting his first reading, and so it's like a seasonal change in my life. But it has to come to all of us, and so I love reading those books. Well, well, one of the passages that I love in the Chronicles of Narnia comes in the book, The Silver Chair. And you'll probably remember this passage. Jill, Jill, who is new to Narnia, has been left alone, she thinks, on the top of a cliff. She's had a very traumatic experience. And she finds herself incredibly thirsty. She is desperately thirsty. And she hears the sound of running water. And she comes, and there is a stream. But to her surprise and dismay, Aslan the lion, the lord of the country, is lying next to the stream. It's a dilemma because she's desperately thirsty, but she dares not go close to this lion. And then she's surprised again because the lion speaks. If you're thirsty, he says, you may drink. 
For a second, Jill stared here and there, wondering who had spoken. And then the voice said again, If you are thirsty, come and drink. And she realized that it was the lion speaking. She had seen its lips move this time, and the voice was not like a man's. It was deeper, wilder, and stronger. A sort of heavy, golden voice. It did not make her any less frightened than she had been before, but it made her frightened in rather a different way. Are you not thirsty? said the lion. I'm dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. May I, could I, would you mind going away while I do, said Jill. The lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. And as Jill gazed at its motionless bulk, she realized she might as well have asked the whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Will you promise not to do anything to me if I do come, said Jill. I make no promise, said the lion. Do you eat girls, she said. (laughs) I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. It didn't say this as if it were boasting or as if it were sorry, nor as if it were angry. It just said it. I daren't come and drink, said Joe. Then you will die of thirst. Oh dear, said Joe, coming another step nearer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream. I think David would have loved that story. I think he would have loved it. I think he would have said, that's exactly right. There is no other stream. And being away from the stream that is God, being in his presence, enjoying him, that stream that is God himself, being away from that stream is to be dying of thirst. Spiritual thirst, a thirst that we were created with that can only be satisfied in the one stream that is God himself. That's why I think David would have said, I love that passage too. Because that's what he's trying to say in this psalm. He's trying to take a snapshot of his soul for the purpose of handing it to us and saying, let me tell you something about your soul. Because your soul ought to be thirsty for God the way my soul is. It's a a snapshot of the soul. Sometimes snapshots, especially close-ups, make us uncomfortable, but we need them We need them spiritually. And when the Bible comes to us like this and takes a snapshot of our soul and asks, are you thirsty for the one stream that is God himself? Then we would be wise to answer. Are you thirsty for the one stream that is God himself? What I want to do is I want to walk through this snapshot of David. And and I'm hoping as we launch into these next few days, this will position us to to become more like him, to see the value of this stream. David's not looking ultimately to condemn us. He's not looking ultimately to 
point out how much better he is than us. He's hoping that we will see the value of God for our souls and that we will thirst after him and drink deeply of his presence and relationship with him. That's what he's hoping for. I think that's what God's intention is as he wrote this in his words. Let's just walk through the passage. A few things we can notice about David that I hope will motivate us to thirst after the stream that is God himself. First of all, he thirsts for God. That's the most obvious opening observation. Look down there at your Bibles. The context of this psalm is that David is in the wilderness of Judah. We don't know exactly when it happened. He was in the wilderness of Judah several times, even after he was king, when people were chasing after him and so forth. We don't know exactly when he was in the wilderness, but we know he was there, and he wants God to know something in that barren land. He says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. He wants God to know that so deeply does he long for him. So deeply does he love him and he wants to be with him and he, he hopes to meet with him. He says, what can I, what can I give as, as a metaphor, as a simile for, for how much I love being near you, God? How much I love that you're my God? He said, I, I know it, it's like my physical thirst in this wilderness. That's what it's like. That's what it's like. Now, that, that's a little bit of a hard thing for us to understand because we live in a time when water is everywhere. I don't fully understand. Have you guys noticed there's a new trend where people buy water bottles that are gigantic? Have, have you seen them recently? They are like barrels, and people carry them around. Now, that would make sense if you were David and you lived in the wilderness of Judah. What makes a little less sense to me is that they have these barrels, and they travel past all kinds of water sources, over carrying their barrel of water. I have a friend up in the Philadelphia area. He carries this thing. It is like a, a sack of water that he carries around. And I think, you know, there's water everywhere in this country. I mean, even the worst case scenario, there's a sink. You could get water. You can buy water cheaply. It's everywhere. Well, not so with David. David was used to long stretches of landscape with no water traveling and traveling and traveling and then coming to a stream that now of all times is dry and you got to go to the next stream and finding that sense of deep thirst where, where your tongue doesn't work properly and your your mouth sticks together and you begin to feel a fatigue and a faintness because your your body is starting to slow down you're thinking when when, when will I have a drink and you're feeling your vision start to blur because you, you haven't had any water. He's saying, you know what it's like when I haven't been with God? It's like that. That's what it's like. It, it, it's not like us when we've gone maybe an hour or two without water. We think, oh, I guess I'll have to just pop inside. and get." No, he's thinking of a desert experience. And he says, that's what it's like. Being distant from you, God, it's like that. It, it's like a, a thirsting, a fainting of a man who's had no food, perhaps for days in a dry and a weary land. That's what I'm like when I'm not meeting with you. And this thirsting for God, it, it brings to mind times when he has met with God. 
Just like if we're really hungry, we're thinking about food. Or if we're really thirsty, we're thinking about water. Well, what brings this to mind is David's thinking, I, I want to meet with God. I remember that time that I met with God in the sanctuary. Just like when you're thirsty, all you can think about is water. When David's longing for God, all he can think about is that time he met with God in the sanctuary. So he says there in verse 2, look at your Bibles. He says, so in this kind of way, longing for you, I looked upon you in the sanctuary. I beheld your power and your glory. The, the, the sanctuary was that tabernacle, that tent, where God allowed Israel to meet with him, where sacrifices were offered for sin. And there was all these symbols of God's mercy and God's holiness. And even the, the depiction of the tabernacle was supposed to show God's creative power and so forth. And so when you came in there, you were like, oh, that looks like God, and that looks like God, and there's God's greatness, and I love meeting with you there, David said. And I, I'm remembering that in the wilderness right now. I, re I remember meeting with you. And he says, you know what I think of when I think of meeting with you? I think that your steadfast love, in verse 3, is better than life. I, I'm physically thirsty right now, but you know what's more important to me than physical thirst, than, than hunger, than gold, more important than friendships, more important than anything? It's meeting with you. In the same way that if a person really was desperately thirsty, a lot of other things don't seem very important. You're not worried about your Christmas presents when you're dying of thirst. You're not worried about, oh, how do I look today? Am I kind of you know, fitting in? No, you just want water. Well, David's saying, that's, that's what your steadfast love is like. When I think about your glory, your holiness, that I, I've seen how holy you are and the sacrifices for sin at the sanctuary, I, I've seen the depiction of your mercy when the priest would pray over this person confessing their sin and declare them to be forgiven because they've offered the right kind of sacrifices. I've seen you're a God of mercy. I see the depiction of the creation in the furniture of the tabernacle, and I realize you're a God of power. And you know what I, I realize? The fact that you love your people, that's better than life, God. That's better than anything. Now, in our day and age, we don't have a physical tabernacle because we have Jesus. All of that stuff that they did, it was just like an anticipation for what Jesus was going to do. Because he was going to die for sin. And he was going to show God's holiness. And he was going to reveal God's love that's better than life. So I think David, if he was writing this song today, he could write it even better. He wrote it really good back then, but he could write it even better. He would say, oh, when I think about Jesus dying on the cross for sinners. And I think about Jesus revealing God's power when he walked over the waves. And I think about Jesus holding up the creation by the word of his power. You know what I think? I think the love of that Jesus, it's better than life. And you know how I feel about that one? I thirst. I'm dying of thirst. If I don't drink of him, of fellowship with him, of meeting with him, of encountering him. You, you know what that's like? It's like a person finally falling on his face in the desert and saying, I give up. I can go a step further without water. And David says, I can't go a step further without meeting with you. David thirsts for God. He thirsts for God. And I want us to pause for a moment and take this snapshot of David and line it up next to our hearts. Just line it up next to your heart for a second, okay? And, and don't be thinking about, oh, gosh, I'm going to try harder next week. D don't go there yet. Let's just line it up 
and humbly ask the question, do we thirst for God like David did? Do we thirst for God like David did? Are you thirsting for God the way you thirst for water? Are you thirsting for God that way? Sometimes I, I think we don't. I think sometimes we don't think of God like water. I think we think of him something else. Maybe we think of him like cough syrup. We think of him, he's really good to have and useful when you need him. And man, it's nice when he just happened to be there right when you desperately needed him. But he's not like water. And how often in my life and in your life, I would bet, is God that way? I, I, he's there. He's there when I need him. And I need him sometimes. And he's very, very good at dealing with my sickness and problems of my soul. But I could easily go days and weeks, maybe even months without cough syrup. David uses water on purpose because you can't go even a day without missing water. And we shouldn't be able to go a day missing God. Sometimes I think we don't thirst for God this way because we've gotten used to the caffeinated type things of this world. And God doesn't work that way. I want you to imagine just for a moment, imagine just for a second, if all of the water in the world was suddenly changed into Red Bull. Just visualize it. Niagara Falls Red Bull. And the lake is Red Bull. And you go to the water fountain and Red Bull comes out. All the water. Now what would happen? Well, for a few hours, it would be one frantic world. It would be an intense world. If everybody was drinking Red Bull all the time, wouldn't it be? People would be going nuts. Every work would be getting done. There'd be fascinating discoveries made just over the couple of hours, Red Bull. And then it would start to decline, wouldn't it? There'd be a bit of a crash. And then you'd recharge and do it again, and everybody would be excited, and let's go, let's work. Come on, let's do either whether we're fun things or working things. We're going to do it. Red Bull, yes. And let's imagine that somehow there's one person in the world, he just kept drinking water. He was the one person with water, and he stayed away from Red Bull. Now, on the first day, he wouldn't seem particularly excited compared to everybody else. He actually might seem kind of boring. But the next day, you know what happened to the Red Bull people? Their peak would still be there, but it'd be a little less. They'd be dragging a bit, wouldn't they? And then they would crash again. What about the third day? Boy, they'd have to do three cans where the first day just did one, and then they'd crash again. Imagine a week of only having drunk Red Bull. What would you be feeling like on the last day? Oh, you'd be dragging. You might have five minutes of energy, and then your body would just be dead. And what would the guy who drank water the whole week be like? He, he gradually would have more and more energy, more and more strength. By the end, he'd be the only one standing. You know, sometimes that's what happens with God and his word and meeting with him. Sometimes we want God to be like an energy drink or like a movie. We want a quick high, and we don't care about the crash. And we read the Bible, and it's like, this isn't exciting. Forget it. God will not be our caffeinated drink, but he will be water for the soul. And the person who drinks that water and eats that feast, they will get stronger and stronger and stronger. 
But the person who fills themselves with the Red Bull stuff of this world, big high, big crash, you know what will happen? They'll get weaker and weaker. And what used to be exciting won't be enough. And what now was exciting still won't be enough. And they'll need more and more for less and less energy. That happens with media. That happens with sin. That happens with all kinds of this world kinds of stuff. It's instantly exciting, but it doesn't give the kind of satisfaction that David's talking about. Maybe that's true of you. Maybe you're not thirsty for God because you've been drinking whatever your version of spiritual Red Bull is. You feel like you're drinking. You're filling yourself with a lot of something. But man, the moment it's over, you're just looking for more. Where? I, I don't, that didn't get it done. Haven't you felt that way? After binge-watching something, it's like, I'm so excited. This is going to refresh me for my long week at school. You get the end, like, I'm exhausted. Is there another episode? That's happened to me lots of times. You go to something thinking, I, I, this is going to make all the difference. And you think at the end, like, I, 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 it didn't do anything, but I want more of it. The only thing that's not like that is God. So David says, You know something that's better than life, better than all that stuff? It's seeing the power and the glory and the steadfast covenant love of God. It's thinking about him. It's meeting with him. It's being in his presence. That's what I'm thirsty for, David says. And he says, it's not just that I'm thirsty for it. It's also that I'm satisfied in God. Look at this next phrase. David says, look, this isn't just this idea that I'm thirsty for God endlessly, and it's this journey that never has a completion. No, he says, I'm actually, I'm actually satisfied in him. Unlike those other things, unlike Red Bull, there's points where I can say, ah, that was delightful. Look down at your Bibles. He says in verse 5, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. Fat food, not a bad thing back then. This is like good food. This is Thanksgiving feast food. He's saying, this is not, you look in the cupboard, it's like, oh, great. My mother's healthy crackers. Marvelous. Is there nothing else? No, David said, no, this is like Thanksgiving. This is Christmas Day food. This is good food. That's what I feel like around God. My mouth, he says, will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you on my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. He's saying, You are so satisfying to me that when I wake up in the middle of the night or I can't go to sleep, the best thing I can think about is you. It's the best thing when I wake up and I'm like, oh, God, here he is. I can have a feast in the middle of the night. I can think about you in the middle of the night. I can praise you at random moments of the day. Why? Verse 7, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. Remember the context. David's somewhere out in the wilderness, probably being chased by enemies. He can't sleep. No wonder if you had somebody trying to spear you to the wall, you'd be thinking too, I I don't feel like sleeping right now. But he says, you know what I can think about? God. God, and it satisfies me. I'm not worried right now because I'm thinking about God. I'm thinking about God's power. I'm thinking about his greatness. And then he says, you know what what I'm like as I think about you? I'm like a baby bird covered by its mother's wings. 
protecting and covering and watching over so that nothing can get into me because God is watching over me. In the shadow of your wings, he says, I have found rest. There might be an enemy coming, looking for me, hunting for me, but I have a covering that is watching over me in the watches of the night. And he says, yes, I'm, I'm holding on to you. Look down there at verse 8. He says, I'm holding on to you. But you know what's really going on? Your right hand, your hand of power is holding on to me. So what's he saying? He's saying, I'm satisfied in you because when I think about your love and your care and your protection, it is enough. I don't need anything else. So when I'm feeling nervous and anxious and I want to find something to distract me and to satisfy my soul, I don't need to go there because I can go here where God is and he is watching over me. When I'm worried about my future and I'm not sure what's going to happen, I can remember that God is watching over me. He's holding on to me. And he's saying, you know what that does for me? It's like Thanksgiving Day. I'm stuffed with thinking about the greatness of God. I'm thirsty for God, but secondly, I'm satisfied in God. And then finally, I'm confident in God. Look down at your Bibles. Verse 9, David transitions. He, he thinks about his enemies. What about them? What about them? What about those people that are coming against me? He says, you know what's going to happen to them? Ultimately, they're going to be destroyed. They're going to die. Their life will end. They'll go down into the grave in verse 9. They'll be given over to the power of the sword. In other words, they have no defenses. They have no great one watching over them. They have no assurance of their future being secure. No, they have none of those things. They don't have the protection that I have. They might look prosperous and dangerous right now, but eventually it'll be revealed. They're vulnerable. They seem proud and strong and arrogant and mocking me and mocking the righteous people, but in the end, they're going to be vulnerable. They're going to be alone with no one to hold them up. But God's king is going to rejoice in God, and all who swear by that king will exult. I think we see this fulfilled ultimately in Jesus, because Jesus is God's king for his people. He's the king of God's people. And the enemies of Jesus, yes, they had a time where they were opposed to him and mocking him, just like they mock Christians today. In various places of Twitter and late night comedy and all kinds of cultural situations where Jesus and his followers are mocked and challenged and threatened. And David says, yes, but a day is coming where all of those who set themselves against God and his king, they're going to be destroyed. Unless they come to him for refuge, they will find him as their judge but actually, those who've trusted in him, who have been like that baby bird under its mother's wings, toward the king, toward King Jesus, they will exult. What does that mean? They will worship. They will rejoice. They'll lift up a shout. They'll say, yes, my king, he is mighty and strong and powerful. And his steadfast love is, it's better than life. What's David doing? He's saying to all generations of God's people, do you see the stream that God is? Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty for something that can actually satisfy your soul? Are you tired of the red bull of this world that promises much and delivers little? 
Are you scared of the threats of this world that you know you're not strong enough to resist? Do you often have times in your life where your mind drifts to worries and anxieties and fears about the future? Are you ever awakened and thinking, what's going to happen today that's amazing or scary? David says, let me tell you something that you should be driving towards. It should be God. You should be with God. You should be drinking of God. Think of him as a a water fountain, as a feast, something that can cover you, protect you. God is what you want and he is what you need. And since we know that God is revealed in the person and work of Jesus, that as we look at him, that his death on the cross reveals God's steadfast love. It reveals God's protection, his care for his people. Listen, there is more in God to see and know and drink of than we could possibly imagine or exhaust. Let me ask you this. In your Moments between activities. Are you thinking about God? I often am not. I'm sometimes looking for something to distract me from the burdens of the day. Something to give me a, a, a quick sense of escape from the burdens of the day. Caffeine, food, media, some kind of browsing. What's, what's going on, what's going on in, in news just, just something. I, I, just, I don't want to have to think too long because then my mind starts to reveal a thirst that's never fully satisfied. So I'll just run from one fountain to the next. Is this taste good? Okay, this, no. Does this taste good? No. Is this, does this taste good? And then I get to the end of the week and I think, why do I feel so empty? There is no other stream. Not work. Not academic success, not popularity, not social media, not movies, not hobbies, not food, not drink, not drugs, not dreams of success in this world, not praise from your boss or praise from your friends or praise from your parents, good as that might be. None of those things are the stream that satisfies the soul. Listen, God made every human being. He made you. If you're 12 years old or if you're 60 years old, God made you to be in his presence. And nothing else, nothing else, nothing else will satisfy us like him. That's what we were made for. We were made to thirst and be satisfied in him. Now, I want to pray for three types of people. Just mention them briefly and see if you identify with one or all of these. Because I'm I'm praying that this retreat will have the effect of driving us towards this God who's revealed himself especially in the person and work of Jesus Christ, the one who tabernacled among us and revealed God's glory. I'm I'm praying that we will run toward that stream, 
that will go again and again and again. And, and I'm, I want to pray for three kinds of people that I think might hear that call. And this, this might be true of you. So let me, let me just let me ask if this is you. One type of person is longing for God. That's true of you. To the best of your knowledge, you've come saying, I want that. That's me. That is me. I am thirsting for God. I want to pray that God will answer that prayer. That he will answer your prayer. That you will encounter him as the fountain. A second group of people might be those who are convicted you've been satisfied in other things. As I was looking at this passage, a fresh way preparing, coming into this street, I, I was convicted of that. I was convicted of how often, Lord, I am satisfied in other things. I'm trying to be. They don't actually satisfy me, but I'm trying hard to be. I'm, I'm drinking all these Red Bull fountains thinking, why is this not get it done? And I forget what I ought to know. There is only one stream that satisfies the human soul. Only one. His name is Jesus Christ. He has revealed the glory of God. And that glory, it's a different kind of stream. It frightens you in a different kind of way. And yes, he doesn't promise that you won't have to change as you draw near to it. But it satisfies the soul. Now maybe you're like me. Maybe... Maybe you have been filling your life with other things. Video games, media, friends. When can I do the next thing? The next party? Maybe it's school. It could be good things, but they've just stuffed your life so much there's no time left for the one fountain you're made for. What I want to pray for you is that God would turn that conviction into repentance and change, and that you will run towards the stream that is his steadfast love. Good news, this stream is a stream of forgiveness and love and mercy towards those who've been drinking from other fountains. We don't fix ourselves so that we can come near to the stream. We come to the stream, which is what fixes us. So if that's you, want to pray that God turns that conviction into change. Finally, you want to seek God. Here's a third group. You want to seek God, but you are afraid. You're like Jill. You're aware that coming to this stream means you have to give yourself into the power of God himself. That he's big and he's powerful and you can't just push pause. And that might mean a different life and you don't know what he's going to do. What's he going to reveal? What emotion is he going to bring out of you? And, and that seems scary. And so you're like Jill. I, I want to drink, but I'm scared. I want to pray that the merciful gentleness of God would help you to overcome your fear and to draw near to him. Listen, I can testify to this. Your parents can, your pastors can. We have been drawing near to him our whole life. And that fear that you feel, feel because of his greatness is also what causes you to be satisfied in him when you draw near to him. He is gentle and gracious and loving and kind. And you do not 
need to be scared of him. C.S. Lewis ends with Jill drawing near to the fountain. And she drinks. And she says, it was the coldest, most refreshing water that she had ever tasted. God is the greatest fountain of the soul. If you're in any of those groups, let me pray for you right now, that God will satisfy you. Lord Jesus, I pray first of all for all who came eager, longing, thirsty. Lord, they've been seeking you, but they're still thirsty for more. I pray you would answer that prayer. I pray as we study your word, as we draw near to you, that you would satisfy them, Lord. Let them enjoy the songs and the preaching and moments of conviction and mercy and joy and exaltation and zeal. Lord, would you just pour out over them the joy of being in your presence. Lord, I pray for those that are convicted. Lord, forgive us, Lord, of those things that we seek as replacements for you. Lord, forgive us. Show us what they are. Those things that we've been building our life around that don't satisfy. Maybe they're fine things that have taken over too much, or maybe they're actually bad things. Lord, bring conviction. And let us run to the fountain that is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Finally, Lord, I pray for those that are afraid. Would they have a sense of your greatness and your power and it scares them. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that over these next 48 hours, be they young or old, they would be enabled to overcome that fear by the power of your spirit. You would cause them to bring their heart eagerly and passionately to you. Lord, I pray there would be sixth graders here who passionately bring their heart to you but that that would be more important than the fear of man, than fitting in, than having a comfortable retreat, that they would want to meet with you, and that would be greater than their fear. Lord Jesus, do these things, Lord. We want to meet you. Lord, we want to meet you. We've gathered here to meet you. So speak to us through your words. Satisfy us, Lord, by your presence. Satisfy young people and parents. Satisfy us, Lord, with your steadfast love. You've been listening to a conference given for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.